Well, good morning. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. We're uh, in a series together. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we're all the way through 2016. We're working our way all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're learning together how we can follow Jesus, put into practice what Jesus said is best uh, in life. And this portion of Matthew, Matthew 8 through 10 or so, the chapters in Matthew there, we're looking specifically at the supernatural. Now, what we're trying to do in this whole entire year is learn to do what Jesus said we can do. And Jesus confronted bad religion, and Jesus confronted injustice, and Jesus uh, forgave and taught us how to forgive, and Jesus uh, did all kinds of amazing things that we all, if we follow Jesus, are meant to be able to do the same things. And Jesus also did things like heal. And so we've spent a little, a few weeks uh, paying attention to how we might be a part of the healing ministry of Jesus. If you were here last week, uh, in, in fact, in this service, we did a little demonstration about how you might pray for someone that is feeling, has some kind of thing going on physically or emotionally and how you might pray for them, because there's not a formula for that. Uh, and if you were here, Chris was in the service and she had a, a thing with her wrist. She had carpal tunnel syndrome. And she sent us a message later that day. She said, my pain level has been at an eight. Today, after you all prayed for me, my pain level has been at a one. Now, you may say, that's a coincidence. Okay, again, I've just found that when I pray, coincidences happen a lot more frequently. Uh, Well, I want to pray, because today we're going to talk about another aspect of the supernatural. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about it. Uh, Another aspect of the supernatural uh, having to do with the demonic or devils or evil. And so I, I really feel like it's necessary that we just pause for a moment and ask for God's guidance and help as we do that. Would you pray with me? Um, God, I know that in a room uh, this size with this many people here, that there are some people who are so stuck. They feel completely overwhelmed by circumstances in their life, and they frankly don't know what to do. And today might be a last, a last uh, grasp at a straw, hoping that that will make the change in their life, that maybe you would do something in their life by being here today. And so, God, I pray that in, in your power, uh, in the way that you've designed us to live as your children, that you'd set some people free today as we listen to what you have to say to us and as we receive what you offer to us, the freedom that you want to bring into our life. And so I pray this in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today uh, about, uh, about you. I want to maybe explain you to you in a way maybe you haven't thought about before. Uh, but specifically, I want to talk to you about one of the reasons that you might feel uh, stuck. Have you, have you ever felt stuck in life? Any of you ever felt stuck? Okay, a few liars who didn't raise their hand. Okay, good. <laughs> now we know who the liars are. Liars are welcome in church. We love you. Um, I, so I want to talk to you about it, though, uh, uh, that there's a source of that that you might not have considered or thought about uh, having, uh, as having power over you. Now, I, I will tell you as we talk about this, I'm probably going to either upset you or make you mad. If I don't upset you or make you mad, don't worry. Stick around here long enough. I'm an equal opportunity offender, and I will offend you too, okay? But I need you to stay with me as we talk about this, because what we're going to talk about um, that source is, is, uh, is what the Bible suggests, what Jesus says, are, are demons, uh, the devil, uh, however you want to say it, evil with a face. The way Jesus talked about the, the devil, now I don't, see, I don't know if you believe this. I had a gentleman who was here in the first service, he's a pastor, and he was just here visiting, and he, he, he travels literally around the world, 
And he said, um, he said, man, thank you for saying that. I know you were trying to talk to people who many people don't believe in this. He said, but when I go places like Africa and Haiti and India, I see the demonic in a way that is not present in North America or in the West because people don't believe. And he said, I see people convulsing, all these kinds of crazy things. And he said, but Jesus believed that there was some force like this. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I, I, if Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to go ahead and go with whatever he said. When you rise from the dead, I'll go ahead and go with whatever you said, right? Okay? <laughs> so, uh, so Jesus, though, he said that there is a, what he called a thief, who comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Think about the most manipulative person you know in your life. Multiply that times about a thousand, and you have what Jesus understood to be the, the demonic realm, who's only out for your harm. Uh, Jesus, the way he described him, said he's a liar and the father of lies. So, and he's been lying from the beginning, and all he will ever do to you in your life is lie to you about what will, what will bring you the most benefit, and in the end, his, his desire and outcome is to mess you up completely and then laugh at you. So Jesus said that there's this, there's this person now in the scriptures that's often referred to as Satan. The word Satan, Satan, is uh, the way the Hebrews pronounce it. It's a Hebrew word that means um, an accuser. Jesus says that there's an accuser. Now, I, I know when we talk about the demonic that maybe the thing that comes into your mind is what happens in movies, you know, in The Exorcist and and you're thinking about someone levitating in midair and throwing up everywhere and head spinning and, you know, people, that thing, that's what we think about. As a pastor, as a follower of Jesus uh, over the last 25 years or so, I've seen instances that might approximate that, not totally, two times. Uh, without going into all the details, it was just a very weird experience. The people had a different voice. Uh, they were saying things that were just odd and, and just very off-putting, but we prayed for that, those evil forces to be exercised, to be left, uh, and they did. But I, I, more, less than seeing that, what I see more often are, are patterns in people's families and in people's lives that are almost unexplainable. Uh, have you ever thought, and, and there, there are other reasons for it, but have you ever thought why in some families it seems like there's someone who's an addict, and when you hear their story, they say, well, my mom was an alcoholic, and then her grandpa, her dad, he was an alcoholic, and then his dad before him was an alcoholic. Or the same can be true of abuse, like an abuser was abu who ha had uh, someone who was an abuser, who was abused, who was abused, who was And then have you ever noticed there's some families that it's just like tragedy follows them, like one tragedy after another, and some families just never have any of that. Is that random, or is there a, is there a force behind that? Uh, and I see the same thing in people's lives. There's patterns in their life that they don't know how to get free from. And they seem to always lose to those patterns. It's like there's voices saying something to them, and they, they go with that voice, and it takes them down a very, very dark path. Now, what I want to suggest to you is what the Bible suggests, and what Jesus says is that there is an evil force at work, and it's trying to ruin you. Um, now, there was a guy, C.S. Lewis, he wrote uh, several books, one of my favorite authors, a follower of Jesus. He was an atheist, and then, uh, then he met Jesus Christ through his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, who was the writer of The Lord of the Rings. And um, he, he uh, became a Christian, and he wrote all about that, and you can read a lot of his books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, made into a movie. One of my favorite things that he wrote, though, is a book called The Screwtape Letters. And he said that, that he recognized that what Jesus said was, uh, was true, that there's this force that's out to get you, and he said, if we could understand that, maybe we could resist it in a better way. And so he wrote The Screwtape Letters, and Screwtape in the, in the book, it's a fictional account, Screwtape's a senior devil, and he's writing to his nephew, a junior devil named Wormwood, 
and he's telling him how to go about messing up someone's life. And so it's a real fascinating, you kind of have to get your head because everything's upside down in the book. But in the beginning, he writes, and he says, the reason I'm writing this is because there are two, what I've found, equal and opposite errors when it comes to the demonic that people fall into. And he said, on the first hand, there's the idea that the devil is behind every bush and behind every tree. Uh, If you remember uh, way back in the day, Flip Wilson used to have that thing, you know, the devil made me do it. And it's the idea that behind every choice that I make, I'm not responsible for it. The devil made me do it. I don't know. I mean, I stole that car, but it's not me. It's the devil. It's not my fault that I stole a car. It's not my fault I left them. The devil made me do it. I didn't, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be a good dad, but I let the devil. The devil made me do it. So he said that the, the error is to see the devil behind absolutely every action uh, that takes place in the world. He said the equal and opposite error, though, on the other end of the spectrum is to say that there is no devil at all and he doesn't exist. Now, if I were the devil, my greatest trick would be to convince you that I didn't exist and still manipulate you. Now, you have to weigh for yourself. Now, what what do you think about all that? Now, what we're going to do to kind of jump into this, we're going to spend several weeks on this. Um, Next week, I do not, I want you to be here, you're obviously here today, great. (laughs) The next two weeks, I don't want you to miss this, especially next week, uh, one of my friends, Paul McConaughey, I'm going to be here, but my friend Paul McConaughey, he was a, a pastor in England, and you, I promise you, do not want to miss next week. You want to be here to hear my friend Paul um, talk to us about this. Um, we're going to talk about that, but, but what I want to do just to kind of help us introduce this subject is do a little bit of a Bible study about what the Bible says about the things that keep you stuck. Along the way, we'll also look at what the Bible says about the devil, because there are a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions about what the devil is like. Um, but what I want to do is just, just, just kind of do like a Bible study. And if, you, if you've never done a Bible study, you know, you can, what you can do is you can say, what does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about forgiveness? And you can find some life-changing things if you study that. So we're going to do that about what the Bible says about the things that keep you stuck. And, and I'll give it to you like this, okay? The Bible says that there are three basic things that keep you stuck in your life. And if you could overcome these three basic things, you would not experience, again, that feeling of stuckness. Would that not be a great scenario for you? Would you anyone not want to feel that? I'm like, stuck feeling. Here they are. Uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Say those three things with me, would you? The flesh, the world, and the devil. Now, the Bible talks a lot about the flesh, especially in the New Testament. You'll read about the flesh. Uh, and doesn't mean your body. God made your body and said that your body is good. When the Bible talks about the flesh controlling us, what it's, it's meaning is a, a, it's a metaphor for the things that drive and control you. And, and here's how the flesh works. Here's what the flesh is and what the fle- Bible means when it talks about the flesh. The flesh is me when I'm thinking about how to make my life work without God. Now, I can be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, believe in God, I want everything, and still operate my life without any reference for God. And so I've got to make, my, I think my life is my own project, and I've got to make my life work the way that I, I want to make it work. And the invariable result of living according to the flesh, the Bible calls it, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this a lot, is that my life uh, ends up being curved in on myself. And, and what happens is then I start to focus on how to avoid pain and to feel good. Now, not neither of those things are bad, but basically my life becomes about those things. So I don't want to feel bad, so I do whatever it takes to not feel bad. 
If that means that I use a substance or I, I abuse a person or I mis, uh, misuse a relationship, then I'll do that because I don't want to feel bad. And, and conversely, I want to feel good, so I'll do whatever it takes for me to do good. I'll spend whatever money I have to do, manipulate whoever I have to manipulate. When the flesh goes really bad, that's what happens. The result is that you always end up leaving other people behind when you are living according to the flesh. And your life becomes your own project because then you are in charge. Now, here's, here's the reality. When you are in charge, God is not. So you're in conflict with what God wants. And you can even be a Christian and be this way. Here's, here's how the Apostle Paul says it when he's talking about the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. We'll put this on the screen. For the flesh, talking about that metaphor about the thing that drives you, desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever it is that you want. Now, here, here's, what, here's the reality with the flesh is it can express itself in anything. It can express itself in religion. If you've ever been around church stuff and church people, you know that they're not perfect. And you know that church people can do some really terrible things. And I've seen happen in churches, uh, people who are living according to the flesh, they, they say they believe in God and they want to follow Jesus. But more than that, they want to avoid pain and they want to feel good. And so they'll do whatever they can to make sure that they don't hurt including manipulating other people in the name of God because they're living according to the flesh. Now, you could do this with a family. You could do this with your family. You could say, uh, I have this picture of what my family needs to be like, and if I can get that picture, then everything will be okay in my life. My kids will be okay. My life will be okay. And how many of you have ever been a part of a family where someone's like that, and what they do to, to make sure that happens is they control every aspect of your life, right? This is why we don't like mother-in-laws. I'm not saying all mother-in-laws are that way. I'm not saying that, right? Address your hate mail to T. McGuire at reallifecc.org. No. You see, when you're living according to the flesh, what's, what's going on is that you are doing whatever it takes to make sure that your current feeling gets satisfied. I'll say that to you again. This is how you know when you're living according to the flesh. You're doing whatever it takes for your current feeling to be satisfied. So your feelings become like the rudder for your life when you're living according to the flesh. Now, Paul says that the, the acts of the flesh, it's kind of obvious. Um, he gives this list in Galatians chapter 5, sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. He goes and gives this long list of things. that He says it's like this. These, this is what the flesh is like. It's really obvious. And you can put whatever veneer you want on top of it, but it always looks like those selfish kinds of things in the end. Now, let me suggest to you one of the reasons that you are stuck in your life is that you are living according to the flesh. In other words, you are living so that you can satisfy your current emotion. And it has you stuck. And you have no one to blame but you. Now, that may be one reason. Now, the Bible says that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the reasons that we are stuck in life. It's because we live according to the flesh. Now, it also says that the world has something to do with that. Now, like the flesh, the Bible, when it talks about the, the world in this sense, is not talking about a physical thing because God created this world and said that it's good. Um, in John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said that God so loves the world that he sent his son so that anyone who, who uh, turns to him can have eternal life. So God loves the world. So, but when the Bible talks about uh, not loving the world, uh, it's talking the same way when it's talking about the flesh. It's a metaphor. 
And it's a metaphor for when your flesh and my flesh get together and create something so that we both can feel good together. So it's your mess and my mess and our mess together is what creates what the Bible calls the world. You're thinking about how to satisfy your current emotion. I'm thinking about how to satisfy my current emotion. And we agree that we want that same feeling to happen. And so that becomes the systems of the world that we live in. I'll give you, I'll give you several examples. Racism is part of the world. Here's how racism works. I think there's a group of people that make me uncomfortable, that I don't know anything about, that I assume all kinds of things about. So do you. So we get together and we say, yeah, those people over there, they're exactly the problem. And the reason they're the problem is because they look that way. And they think these things. And so we make jokes about those people. We say things about those people behind their back. And we even allow policies and, and things to get in place that benefit us and don't benefit them. And we're fine with that because it makes us feel good. See, that's the world. That's the system of the world. It's my flesh and your flesh getting together and creating something. That's how, that's how racism works. Consumerism's the same way. Like, I want to buy something and I want to buy it cheap. I don't care how that product got to me, if it was it created from slave labor, from small children in another country. I don't care what the workers were paid that made the thing. I just want the thing at a price that I can afford. And so I don't really care how that system affects other people. I just care about how it affects me. So this is my, my feelings and your feelings. We get together and we create something. Or sexism. Now, since I'm a man, I'll, I'll, I'll use me as an illustration. I'm a man and you're a man. And we say, well, we know that we're better than women. Right? So we tell jokes about women, and we talk about our wives or our girlfriends, like they just don't get it, and how, what jerks they are, and we use all kinds of language to talk about them, and we say that we're better than them, but I want to feel better, and I don't want to feel like I'm up here, and you want to feel like you're up here, so we kind of sort of have this unspoken agreement. This is, this is what Paul, this is what the Bible calls the world. It's the system that we live in that perpetuates the flesh. You see how that works? You see how that works? So here's what, here's what John says about that in his letter in the New Testament. He says this, Do not love the world, we'll throw it on the screen for you, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So listen, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now here's, here's one of the other reasons you may be stuck in your life is that you have not paid attention to the systems you are in and how they are toying with you. You've, per- you've participated in systems that keep other people down and lift you up, and you can't understand why there's animosity. The Bible says that may be one of the reasons that you're stuck. Now, here's, here's what I know. It is very hard to admit that we are operating according to the flesh because we so often want to feel justified for the emotions that we have. We don't want, I don't want to be wrong, do you? I want to be in the right. So it's hard for me to admit that I'm walking, I'm living what the Bible says according to the flesh. It's also hard to see the world because what I want to believe about myself and what I know you want to believe about yourself is that I would never participate in something that's wrong. I'm not racist. I would never employ slave labor. I wouldn't do that. I'm not that kind of person. See, I don't want to believe that I participate in a system that does something wrong to someone else. It's hard for me to see that. Now, let me, let me make you mad, okay? Here we go. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the political environment that we're living in, and uh, here's what I, I realized something. I'm going to oversimplify a little bit, but not by much. That if you happen to be a Republican, what you think about how the world needs to get better is that people need to be more personally responsible. And so you say, if people were more personally responsible, see, this is what the flesh is. It's about me being personally responsible. 
if people were made better decisions and made better choices, then the world would be a better place. And that's, that's what we need to fix. We need to get the government out of it. We need that, that to work, right? Well, that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. If, we made better, if everyone always made the right decisions, we wouldn't have the problems that we have. Uh, so you, you kind of you would side to like the flesh, is the, the flesh is the issue. If we could get that fixed, then we'd fix everything. Now, if you're a Democrat, you're a little bit on the other side, and you, you see it as, and you say, well, if we could make the systems of the world right so that there is justice for everyone, then everything, that's the problem. See, the problem is the world. That's the bigger problem is the world. Now, the Bible is not anywhere near as polarized as our politics. It's way more nuanced, has a much deeper and richer understanding about the human condition. And here's what the Bible says. It's both. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you align yourself with a political party and say their answers are the ones that are going to solve everything, you only have half of the truth. Because the Bible would say it's both the flesh and the world. And, get this, and the devil. There's, there's somebody that takes and stirs the giant nasty stew that is the flesh and the world together. And that's, there's this force stirring that. See, it's both and. Now, I, I, I know you might be thinking, okay, I, okay, I kind of sort of get what you're saying. <laughs> Help me understand this a little bit better. So I had this picture that kind of made sense to me um, when I thought about this, and it was a picture of a jockey riding a horse. We have a picture of this jockey riding a horse, and this for me symbolizes the flesh, the world, and the devil. What do you mean? Think about it like this. The horse is the flesh, right? He's just working, and he's running, and he's doing his thing. The world is the system around the horse. It's racetrack. It's racetrack betting. It's the people who raise horses. It's the whole system that keeps that operating. And then there's this jockey that is riding the horse and whipping the horse and frenetically making the whole system work, right? And just whipping everything. This helped me make sense, right? The flesh, the world, and the devil. The devil is that jockey, the one who's whipping the whole system and making it go. Now, what does the Bible say about the devil? Let me just do a really quick spin through the Bible, give you just an overview so that we understand, and then we'll, we'll apply this in, a, in just a minute. Uh, here, here's the first place we see the devil is in the beginning story of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, he, he appears as the serpent to Adam and Eve. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. The word crafty means wise, but wise in a way that takes advantage of people. So what the devil does is he takes advantage of people. Uh, Isaiah talks about the devil and says that the devil said in his heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will make myself like the most high. In other words, there was pride that entered into the devil, he's one of God's angels, entered into uh, 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 that angel, Lucifer was his name. And so here's, here's the reality. I am the most demonic when I am full of pride. Now I'm not talking about feeling good about something that you did. I'm simply talking about how you say, I want to be better than other people. This is pride. You're, you're never more demonic than when you're like that. So Revelation chapter 12 kind of gives a backstory of what happened and says there was a war that broke out in heaven and that Michael and his angels fought the dragon. The dragon's a symbol for the devil and his angels fought back, but he wasn't strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. So there's not just the devil, there's this kind of horde of evil things because the devil is not equal with God. He's an angel and there's a whole host of, of these of uh, these evil forces. So the devil's not omnipresent everywhere. There's just all these forces that are roaming through the world, a multitude of evil forces. So then the Apostle Paul, he picks up on all this in the New Testament, and he says, one of the things that the devil does, Satan does, is he masquerades as an angel of light. I see, we think of the devil, and we go, he's got like a, he's got like a red suit and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, and he, <laughs> and he cackles at us, you know. 
but the devil is a master manipulator and comes in whatever form seems the most fitting to get his diabolical ends. Do you remember, uh, this may date some of you, some of you may not remember this, Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy was, a, if you didn't know, was a, was a serial killer. And um, he, he would trick women in parking lots, and then he would put them in the car, and then he would do terrible things to them. And he eventually was found and, and killed for, uh, executed for what he did. But Ted Bundy was, uh, was a, a, an attractive man. He was very well spoken. He was very well dressed. He didn't look like some scary guy. In fact, he would, uh, sometimes he would have a cane and pretend like he had a thing, and he would hold the door open for the woman, and he would say something kind to her, and women were just kind of drawn to Ted Bundy. He masqueraded as something good when he was really something evil. This, this is what Paul says Satan is. Masquerades as, the, he's not going to come to you in a pitchfork. He's going to come in a suit, and he's going to have a great plan for how everything's going to work. And then Paul says, but we're not unaware of his schemes. A, the word there means a, a strategies, that the devil has strategies that he employs, and he's not that creative. He employs the same strategies, and we just give into them over and over again. I'll give you two of them. Well, the first one is that the devil is an accuser. It's in his name, Satan, the accuser. He accuses you for what you've done and for what you've not done. So he says to you, you had an affair. You think you can do something for God? You, you did that to your children? Who, who says you could ever have anything good to offer the world? Or you, you, you know that you don't do that. You, you know you don't do something right. You know you don't do it. He accuses you. See, that's that whip. He accuses you. You go, oh, that's so true. I don't. And so you stop believing anything God says about you, and you believe everything that the devil says about you. His second strategy is that he condemns you, and it's this general sense that you're just never enough and that you're never going to be enough. You'll never measure up. You'll never get it right. You ever heard those things? Now, let me just suggest to you what the Bible suggests, that one of the reasons you may be stuck is that there is someone or something evil stirring the pot. And he's using the flesh, and he's using the world, and he's accusing, and he's condemning you, and he's whipping the horse that is you. And he's winning and you're stuck. Now, I, I think, uh, this is the anniversary of 9-11, and I, I think that was an act of evil. The, the devil took the whip of the, those people's flesh and the world that they inhabited, and they did some atro atrocious evil. That's not the only, by the way, that's not the only act of evil that has ever been done in the world. It's a terrible thing. And you may, well, it, you may say, well, that's a big thing, but what about little things? Well, I was... Uh, I was last night finishing my sermon. I always, I always have the same process. I have a start on Wednesday, and I work through my message, and then on Saturday, I always finish my message so that it's the last thing I think about before I go to sleep, and it's the first thing I think about when I wake up, and just so it's fresh on my mind. And I was sitting there finishing up, and I, I had, because I'm, I'm a generally very positive person. I don't, not a lot gets me down. I get down sometimes, but it's kind of rare. I had this overwhelming sense of sadness come over me. As a long story, but a, a relationship I had a long, a, with a close friend a long time ago that just, I don't know what happened to it. And the sadness of that came over me, and it was like a cloud I could not get through, and I would try and, and I would try and focus back on it, and I was like, I just don't, I, at one point just said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. And then, then this thought occurred to me. I went, you know what, I'm talking tomorrow about how the devil 
overcomes and overpowers people, maybe this is that. So I said, okay, God, I, I don't want to, if that's what, I don't want to give into that. So I stopped for about 20 minutes, turned to Isaiah chapter 40, and I read it, and I prayed. And it was like, I'm not kidding at all when I say this, it was like a cloud lifted. Now that may be what keeps you stuck. See, the cloud is on you, and you're like, I don't think, I, don't, I guess I just have to go do that again. I guess I don't have any choice. I guess I'm part of this, and there's nothing I can do about it. Now, there's this very interesting phrase in, in Matthew 8 through 10 and in several other places in Matthew where Jesus talks about what a demon does to a person and uses the word demon possessed. Now, you may have all kinds of ideas about what you think about that. Again, that head-spinning, levitating thing. But that's not at all what happens. So I, I just went through and I looked at the places where that word is used and I found some, some, some interesting things about it. We'll put all these scriptures up for you and I'll tell you about them. In, in chapter 8, verse 28, there, there's a, a men that are described as demon-possessed and they were two violent men. What you might think of. Terrifying. But the rest of them were not like that at all. There was a man who could not talk in chapter 9. He was called demon-possessed. There was a man who was blind and mute. He was demon-possessed. There was a demon-possessed little girl who was suffering terribly. Now, here's what I thought. I thought, you know what? I know people suffering from all of these kinds of addition, I know, I, afflictions. and I know people who are very violent. And they're out of control. And they've lost control of their family and they lost control of themselves. I know people who can't talk in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I know people who are blind, who can't speak. I know people who are suffering terribly. Maybe that's from the devil. Now, this makes you uncomfortable if you're a Western person because you go, well, you're... Have you ever considered there's someone who's out to get you? Now, I found something interesting when I was working on this word, demon-possessed. What does that mean? What does that I go to the original language and see what it means. And, and, and it can mean a, pers a, a person possesses a demon or commands the person. But then here's this interesting thing. Remember that picture of the, the horse and the rider? It can also mean that the demon rides a person. Now, that was interesting to me. Uh, because now, here's what you need to understand about Jesus. Jesus, if you say, well, I'm stuck in the flesh, you, you nailed me, or I'm stuck in the world, and I'm, you nailed me, or I'm stuck with the devil. Here's the thing you need to understand about Jesus. Jesus came for people in the flesh, dominated by the world, under the power of the devil, and he says to all people in all those scenarios, that's not too much for me. I can set you free from that. So you don't ever need to go, well, I guess I'm stuck then. I'm not, this is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of hope. You're not ever, ever stuck, but here's what Jesus would always do with the demon. Same word got used over and over again. The demon would be driven out. The demon would be driven out. Do you know what the word driven out means? To throw off. So you got the rider on there. What you want to do is you want to throw, if you throw that other picture up there, guys, you want to throw the rider off, right? <laughs> you want that. I, I, how many of you would like that in your life? Like, I would like to throw the rider off, man. Jump in the air and throw that thing off. That, see, this is the power of God, is that God can throw off the thing that has you bound up. You have to ask. You have to ask. Some of you need the power of the flesh broken in your life. You need to confess that. You need to change your mind about that and repent. And you need to say, I am no longer, I'm not going to live my life driven by my emotions. Some of you are stuck because you are stuck in what the systems around you and you need to be aware of it and you need to say, I, I do not want to be a part of that any longer. I do not want to participate in that any longer. I want to be done with that. Some of you are stuck because the power of the devil is riding you. The there's an evil force that is 
afflicting your life, and you need to be free. You need it thrown off. And I want, I want this to be a moment that that can happen for you. Tim's going to come in the band. They're going to play a song. And our prayer team's going to come down front, like we've done the last several weeks. And if you would like someone to pray with you about any of those, th- those things, and you just say, man, I would like, I just would like to be free today. Then I want to invite you while we're praying to just come down and let someone pray for you. Now, here's, here's the temptation. Some of you are going to go, well, okay, we're done. I'm out. I'm gone. Would you just stay and soak in the atmosphere for a few minutes? And maybe you would ask, God, God, where, where, am, where am I stuck? And listen to what God would nudge in your heart and mind to say to you about yourself and how he wants to set you free so that you're not ever again in that scenario where you say, I'm stuck and I don't know what to do about it. So our prayer team, if you guys would come down front, um, those of you that are in the room, and uh, come down front and, and stand down here. And allow me to pray. Would you pray with me? Would you do that? Jesus, you, you uh, always came and you, you drove out the demons. You healed the sick. When you left, the things that bound people up didn't bind them up anymore. And when you came, uh, the other forces that were controlling people's lives, they left. And so we know you have that same power today. That's not for people back then. That's not for people in another time or another place or another culture. That's for today. 21st century Northwest Indiana. In this room. So Lord, give us the courage to ask for your help so that we could be free where we've uh, allowed our emotions to dominate our life, God, we want to change how we think. We want to repent. We don't want to live according to the flesh. We want to live according to your spirit where there's freedom and life, not where there's selfish ambition and hatred and jealousy. God, we want to be aware of how the world uh, is a system we live in and we're often pushed around by it. We want to be aware of that. We want to resist it. Be people of justice. And then, God, some of us, we are under the power of the devil. We are being whipped. And we need to be free. So come in your power. Set us free. We ask this in your name. Amen.